Good morning. Find your seats again. Nice to see all of you here today. Happy Mother's Day to our mommies, our mommies-to-be. And I know there's women here who have never been a mother from their body, but um, have been mothering figures in the lives around you. So for you, too, we honor you. We love you. Grateful for what you have done. My name is Joy, and um, normally I'm up here on this stage behind the piano. Oh, that's my beautiful son, one of them. (laughs) So this picture here on the left is I'm the tiny baby, and that's my mom and dad. A little hard to see with the lights, but... And then on the right is my boys. Thank you, Jim. And though several months ago, when that bump was a little smaller, <laughs> our third one is due in, in uh, August this year, so we're excited. Um, and it was interesting. I was going through my, my notes of past times because I've preached about um, motherhood before. I thought, I think I've even preached on Mother's Day before, and I did. It was four years ago when I was pregnant with kid number two. And so my notes are referring to my one son and the one on the way, so it's kind of Sweet to be doing that again this time around. Anyway, um, I'm not an expert just because I'm a mom does not make me an expert. I don't think any mom would tell you that just because she became a mom that that also made her an expert. In fact, uh, most moms realize how not experts they are once we enter that part <laughs> journey of our lives. We're all human. So what I have to share with you today is some thoughts, some ideas, some things pulled from some books that I have read on motherhood. Excuse me. That was a loud breath. Uh, anyway, if you can go on to the next one. These are two books that I read back when I preached a few years ago, an author named um, Rachel Jankovic. I highly recommend these if you are a mom or you know a mom who has kids in the like under seven, like prior to elementary school age. This particular author, she was writing these books. I don't know how she did it. At the time that she had five kids, and the oldest one was five, and in there was a set of twins. So she's definitely beat me on the, like, surviving the little years. And there's a few things that we'll be talking today that are pulled from, from these books. They're um, really fantastic. Uh, she has a couple points that I feel like were, like, the nutshells that I pulled out as I read through these books a few years ago. And the first one, and these apply to people who aren't moms. So don't just think that the whole next 30 minutes you get to, Uh, Think about what you're having for lunch today, (laughs) just because you're not a mom. So the first point is your daily activity is what God intends to use to shape you. And that's true, mom or not, right? But as we're going through the course of our day, God is shaping us. And the things that we encounter from moment to moment are tools that God can use to shape us if we allow him to do so. And then the second kind of nutshell is that the people who are in our lives, whether they're our little children our spouse, our students, our teachers, our employers, our employees, those people are also God's tools to shape us. And all, with all of their weaknesses and their annoying behaviors and comments and whatever, um, and even their encouragement to us, those are more tools in our lives for God to shape us. And so we don't get to say, well, you know, God's not at work in my life right now. Well, are there people in your life? And are there daily circumstances in your life? And I think the answer to those would hopefully be yes. 
And then the answer is God is at work. And those are some of the ways that he is at work. I'm going to pause just a moment and pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are at work even in this very moment. You're at work in me. You're at work in each person who you've gathered here today. And I just pray that you will open our hearts, our spirits, to hear what you have in store for us. And to feel encouraged and blessed by the fact that you chose us and you chose to work in us. I just thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Some goals of our Christian faith for any of us would be to live out God's plan for our life, to grow more into his likeness. And I was thinking about different seasons of life and how that kind of looks like or the message that you hear in some of those seasons of your life. And I was thinking back to like high school, college age, when that Christian message often is change the world, live your destiny, God's called to do a purpose, which is all true. I'm not saying it's not true. That's the message that tends to be Um, presented to that age group because they're full of life, full of energy, ready to go out, conquer the world, and hopefully find in that space of their life an opportunity to let Christ shine through. After that season of life, generally or can come this little uh, maybe valley is the right word, where we begin asking those questions in a harder and deeper way. Well, what is my purpose then? How do I live out that purpose? And then how does that purpose not get lost in the daily grind of life? Going to work, paying the bills, having the children, caring for the children, putting the children to bed, because we know that that is part of the grind. If you have children and you have not ever struggled to put them to bed, then you need to talk to me after service today. So here is a few purposes that this author mentions and distills for us. She says, by the end of our lives, Most of us hope to be a person of great character, deep faith, and lasting impact. And then the rest of these words here are words that we would recognize as fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. We'd like to see more of these things in our lives on a regular basis as we respond to the things that come at us. A great character, one that naturally earns the respect of those around us. A character that can respond to life's ebbs and flows with integrity, with perseverance, and a character that others would see as an example to emulate. A deep faith, one that can weather life's questions and life's storms. A faith that is tenderly attuned to the presence of the Holy Spirit throughout our day. A faith that notices and attends to the needs around us without a thought of recompense. And a lasting positive impact, one that is felt on people near in our lives, on far an impact on our immediate family, our closest friends, social media connections, a lasting impact that is known within buildings, out in nature, in the hearts of people, and spread along the history of our life. But how do we get there? How do we become that person? How do we find ourselves rooted in character, anchored in faith, overflowing in impact? How do we become that person who's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control? Kind of back to what I said there at the beginning, the working out of our Christian faith, our purpose, it's happening right now. It's happening in the circumstances that are surrounding us. We don't have to go hunting for where God is at work. He's right here at work in front of our face. If you're a mom, it's the runny noses and the temper tantrums and the dirty bathrooms that are the very instruments God intends to use to choose to turn us into that future person that we hope to become. He's teaching us self-control when we find shocking report cards hidden in a backpack. 
He's teaching us peace when everyone is crying at once. He's teaching us gentleness when a teen slams the door in our face. He's teaching us joy when the house is an insurmountable mess. And I'll warn you, I always cry when I preach. It's not just when I'm pregnant. (laughs) Although I might like to use that as an excuse today. <laughs> then there you go. That that might be the problem. <laughs> uh, and if you're not a mom or your children are grown and out of the house, this still applies. So if you hear me referring to children today, you could just insert coworkers, roommates, the names of your family members, especially anyone who might get on your nerves, get in your way, or any other people or situations in your life that occur on a repetitive basis. And those are some of the characteristics we sometimes see in children. They're in your life on a repetitive basis. And that, those people, that repetition, those are God's tools in your life right now to mold and shape you. Um, there's a lot of chatter these days about self-care. There's um, a lot of division that I see uh, in social media and in conversations, friendships amongst groups and ideas, people attached to certain ideas, other people attached to other ideas. Uh, creating a lot of division. And there's a lot of focus within that on what is best for me or what is best for everyone else based on my opinion. And it's easy to get caught up in these arguments, maybe even rationalize some of them in terms of Christianity or scripture. Sometimes in doing this, I think we stray away from the actual words of the Bible to God's people and to his lost and hurting world. The more we're steeped in the language of the Bible itself, the more we recognize when things of the world are kind of trickling in. When we abandon time or can't seem to find time spent in the Bible, because I can relate to that as well, when that happens, we can also lose our attuneness to God's true perspective on life. So there's going to be some big chunks of scripture that I will read here throughout um, as I speak today. They'll be up on the screen. And I want you to think through them as we approach each piece of them. This will be the first one. As we approach each piece of them, Put yourself again in that position of thinking of those people in your life that are in your life on a repetitive basis, those circumstances that occur over and over again, um, people who might annoy you, people who might need you, um, situations that create demand on you, and keep that perspective in your mind as we read through these passages and let um, the scripture kind of come alive in those circumstances of your daily life because that's, that daily life is a component, a, a big component of what we're talking about today. So this is from 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart. To give not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written... They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through, your gener- through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, 
Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This passage of scripture refers to scattering seed. When I think of scattering seed, I think of um, like when one of my kids has dumped out the salt shaker. I think of a mess. And the, the author we were referring to earlier, she says, real life is messy. And it's messy because we're going somewhere. It's messy because there's activities happening and there's a moving along of where we're progressing in our life. And that process is never going to be perfectly tidy all the time. And when I think of sowing generously, as this verse refers to, I also think of a lot of hard, repetitive work. And repetition can become discouraging. But it's a challenge to us to learn how to thrive and live through that repetition. Getting our sense of achievement and satisfaction out of cheerfully performing tasks that are asked of us can do nothing but good in our lives. Why would you rejoice in making dinner again? Because God rejoices in your doing it cheerfully and in doing it well. Why could you rejoice in another stack of homework to complete or grade? Because God rejoices in your doing it cheerfully and doing it well. Children get up in the gears of all parts of your life, and other people that you're around may get up in the gears of your life more than you would wish that they would. For moms, you may have given up a career to have children, or you may have given up time with your children in order to need to continue your career. You may have given up your body. You may have given up hours of time you would have otherwise spent on personal hobbies or interests. You have surely given up on years and years of solid sleep. (laughs) My three-year-old woke me up for about an hour and a half in the middle of the night last night. Just a beautiful reminder of what it is to be a sacrifice. (laughs) In your school, in your career, in your family life, it is likely easy to think of things that you've given up. I gave up an hour and a half of my sleep last night. For a three-year-old, not a newborn, because of someone else's schedule or someone else's demands or even someone else's mistakes or poor choices. And sometimes I think, for me, it's easy to think, I've given enough. The sacrifice can stop here already. In fact, that's what I did last night. I called my husband and I said, where are you? Get home. Come deal with this. I'm done sacrificing tonight. (laughs) Don't ask more of me. I've given it all. And there's two points to make here that this author really beautifully points out. She says, number one, there is a difference between giving something and having it taken from you. If we are still counting the things that we gave up with resentment, we didn't give them. So it's time to do that. It's time to lay them down and to give freely. Romans chapter 12 talks about this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, members meaning parts of our body, so in Christ we through many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And if you're a mom, this is all of these things would be called out of us on a daily basis. And if you're not a mom, this is true too for those around you to serve and etc. Love, you're fine, David. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So in this scripture, we really clearly see that we are being called to place a higher priority on the needs of others than on our own needs. And this isn't the only passage of scripture where we would see this. It happens over and over again. So that kind of worldly mantra of self-care and take care of yourself in order to be able to care for others, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I don't see that often in Scripture. I more often see Scripture encouraging us to lay down our lives, to lay down our needs, our desires for the cause of the kingdom, for the cause of those lives around us he has called us to serve. And um, if this sounds like a recipe for an empty, overdrafted personal self, that's because the strength to accomplish those tasks might also be coming from self. It's only when we're following in the footsteps of Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, with his generous giving into us that can spill out toward those around us without drawing us down to empty. Here's another scripture verse that on this same theme, Philippians chapter 2. And I would love to read this out loud together if you all would not mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we prioritize our children, we prioritize our spouse, we prioritize uh, roommates and those people around us. Their needs more important than ours. Why? Because we are imitating Christ. And that was the example that he set forth for us. Um, Even in my home, like, and it's not that we can't teach our kids, you know, independence and the ability to take care of themselves. My six-year-old loves to sit down at the table when I've prepared food for him and I've set his plate on the table and say, may I have a fork or may I have a spoon? 
And usually my response is something to this effect. Six-year-olds are big enough to get their own spoons. Do you know where the spoons are? I'm not your servant. I'm your mom. <laughs> but I, in many ways, I am his servant because that is the example of Christ. doesn't mean he can't learn to get his own fork, his own spoon. But it means my response should also be a servant-like response. It should be a caring, loving response that is instructing and teaching and not ridiculing. Because I would like to imitate Christ, who also laid down and served. And uh, if God can come down and serve people, then I think that we can serve each other. And there is no amount of humbling of ourselves that can possibly compare to Christ's death. There is no amount of sick children or poopy diapers or sleepless nights or folding laundry or complying with a strict teacher or following orders from an incompetent boss that compares to Christ's death. So have we taken on his form, the form of a servant? Christ's life given up for others is the centerpiece of our faith. So our lives given up for others become the centerpiece of our faithfulness as we follow him. So the next slide is this plate of fruit. I don't know if it looks like fruit to you from kind of dark, but it's a beautifully arranged plate of fruit. And um, there's a few different ways. If you were, had prepared this fruit and you were a mom or you were someone else, you'd prepared this plate and you were serving it to somebody. There's a couple different ways we could look at it that um, probably not ideal. So the first way that I'm approaching it is from a perspective of self-righteousness. If I serve this to my kids, I might feel that I am such a great mom. I might even be a better mom than other people. I've served my children this healthy food. It's beautifully prepared. It's thoughtful. It's probably organic. And the other flip side of it is self-deprecating. Maybe you don't serve this plate of fruit at all. Maybe you're serving Cheetos. And you could think, I'm a terrible mom. Or, you know, my kids would refuse to eat anything on that plate, even the flowers. Or I can't afford organic fruit. Or I don't have time to make a beautiful spread like that for my family. And the problem with either of these positions, which are kind of sides of a seesaw, so to speak, is that the self-righteous perspective is full of judgment for others. And then it has no room for improvement. If we have it all together, our compassion is lost. And we've cut ourselves off from the next level of growth that we are called to. Self-deprecation also prevents learning and growth. It doesn't acknowledge the strengths that we do have. If we're blaming and berating ourselves, we're inhibiting problem solving and undermining motivation that we might have to try. And also, both of these options are looking to self as the source. So let me tell you, when I am the source in my home, this plate is quickly empty and not refilled. So I'm not... I'm not um, going for some kind of a healthy balance between perfection or despair. Neither of these are the, the life of Christ. Our goal, of course, is to live the life of Jesus, which is always humble, servant-hearted, faithful, and generous. This better mom that lives in me might be trying to accomplish servanthood in my own strength. And I, or you, will never be the most accomplished mother or the most accomplished person in the world in our own strength. And if we possibly could be, it wouldn't matter in the end, right? There is no freedom from sin we can find by doing something. Jesus did it all. 
His blood is sufficient, and there is nothing that we can do or need to do to change that. Here's another beautiful passage from Romans 3. Now do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven by not being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way. Though not new, really, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now God says he will accept us and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being entirely fair, even though he did not punish those who sinned in former times. For he was looking forward to the time when Christ would come and take away those sins. And now in these days, also he can receive sinners in the same way, because Jesus took away their sins. But isn't this unfair for God to let criminals go free and say they are innocent? No, for he does it on the basis of their trust in Jesus who took away their sins. Then what can we boast about doing to earn our salvation? Nothing at all. Why? Because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It is based on what Christ has done and our faith in him. So it is that we are saved by faith in Christ and not by the good things we do. The love of Christ is not the reason we don't have to do things. It is the reason we get to do things freely. Our salvation isn't free. Jesus paid for it with his blood. It is free to us because someone else paid a great deal. And this is why we do not work out our salvation by never doing anything that might be hard or difficult for us. We imitate Christ. We do make sacrifices for others. We do things that are hard, that cost us much because we want our gifts to also be free to others. When we imitate Christ, we give what costs us, and we give it freely. The fruit we have in our lives and the fruit we are able to set before others is intimately connected with our forgiveness. When we are forgiven, we are filled with gratitude, joy, and peace. Jesus does not care the tiniest bit what you do to earn your salvation because there's nothing we can, but he cares very much what we do with our salvation. So we can decide consciously that we are giving this meal, this clean room, these errands, this wipe of a snotty nose, that we are giving it all freely. And much later, maybe 30 years later, we hope that we would like to see our children turn a profit on that gift. We would like to see them taking what they were given and turning it into more free giving. This is because God's story is never little. He works in generations. He works in lifetimes. And he's calling us to do the same. So there's something my husband has taught me 
that was different from how I grew up. Well, there's many things, but there's one in particular that I will illustrate here or use for an illustration here. Both my parents are very loving people. If you've been here very long, you've probably met them and know and have experienced their care. Among many of the things that they taught me were hard work and task completion. Growing up, I learned how to stick with the task, how to keep working even when I was tired, how to press on until a job was completed and completed thoroughly. On the flip side of this, I learned that taking breaks can get you into trouble, that dawdling while working is not usually acceptable, that a task mostly done isn't done, and that finishing a task before moving on to playtime was the only option. These are wonderful qualities for the most part, and I'm a more organized, hardworking person because of it. When Benjamin and I were married, however, this was one way that we differed pretty significantly. If we had a big task in front of us, like packing or unpacking for a move or a camping trip, uh, cleaning out our office, or even tidying up the house, he likes to take breaks. He wants to sit down and relax right in the middle of a task at the most inopportune time. And all I wanted to do was just get the thing done. If we had a new bed and it was almost put together, I don't want to take a break just once the frame is assembled. I want to put on the mattress and the linens. I want to carry the trash outside. I want to vacuum the floor from the mess. I want that task 100% complete before anybody pauses for rest. My husband, however, likes to celebrate that the frame is completed by sitting down for a few minutes before moving on to the rest of the task. Fifteen years of marriage later and six years of parenting later, I've realized that getting things done is not my husband's or my children's primary love language. (laughs) I can teach my children patience while they wait for me to complete a task. I can also show them their value by interrupting my task to care for them. So our children and these other very needy people in our lives, who I'm sure you all can think of at least one of them, They desire our attention, our direct attention, focused interaction, and play together. And when we can pause our busyness, even for pockets of time during our day, that communicates love and value to our children and to those people that we are around. If you have kids, as a bonus, those pauses to interact and communicate your love to them also typically help their behavior and cooperation. It's kind of a little bonus. In Galatians 5, we read this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So I want our closets to be organized, but not as much as I want my attitude to be organized. I would like our home to be beautiful, but not as much as I want the people in it to be happy and feel safe there. My children should see me laboring hard to make a beautiful life for them, while also not losing sight of them in it. And this is attention to complete our tasks that are given to us by the Lord that are part of every single day of our lives, and to work on these tasks without steamrolling over the people in our path. 
I've noticed that in particular, how I handle interruptions is a surprising indicator of my ability to care for the needs of others above my own. I found that my temper is more likely to flare up with my children if they are interrupting my current task, whether that task is responding to a text message or cleaning the bathroom. And handling that interruption of our loved ones with care and attention communicates that they matter more than the task or matter more than our phone. When a day seems like an extremely lengthy cluster of constant interruption from several people all at the same time, then what? Here we are, becoming a person of greater character. Here we are, the chance to become a person of deeper faith. And here we are, leaving an impact. What impact will that be in that moment? And what impact will that be in the cumulative years that we spend? Because we're never going to do every moment correctly. One more beautiful scripture here from John chapter 17. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them, this is Jesus speaking about us, so the them is us. I have given, Jesus has given to us, God's word. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of their daily mess, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As he sends, as Jesus was sent into every day, we are each sent into every day that faces us. For them, for us, Jesus sanctifies himself, that we too may be truly sanctified. Now, my dad preached a few months ago on this idea of sanctification. And the basic concept of what is sanctification is the act or process of becoming holy. The act or process of all of our junk and yucky stuff in our hearts and our lives being replaced by the holy stuff of Christ. And when we are at home with our children, that is the means of our sanctification. And when we are at work on a tight schedule with a demanding, incompetent boss, that is the means of our salvation. And when we are at school with classmates who are lying, bullying, or shaming others, that is the means of our sanctification. Not that the situation is, but that Christ in us, at work in that situation, that is the very moment of exchanging our mess for God's beauty and his holiness to come into that place. So in those moments, which are hard, we can praise, thank, ask for help, ask for him to sanctify us. That moment and many of those moments multiplied over our days and over our weeks are the testing of our faith and the building of our character. It is Christ's faithfulness that enables our faithfulness. We can trust him to fill us up because he never runs out. We can trust him to teach us how to lay character into our children's lives and the lives of those around us because he is laying character in us. We can trust him to help us set our goals for the day, both task ones and loved ones. The great blessing, one of the great blessings of being a Christian is we have both a reason for our journey and a companion for it. We are not alone, just like we sang this morning. 
We are not the first ones to lay down our bodies or our time or our lives. We are not the first ones to sacrifice what feels like everything. We need God to fill us up. We need him to sanctify us, to make us holy. We all need to walk in greater faithfulness in response to his faithfulness to us. And we want to see him use these repetitive activities, these demanding, annoying people in our lives, the regular people in our lives, to teach us how to freely give. We want to see him use everyday moments to strengthen our character, build our faith, expand our impact, to change our perspective in life from things as being stolen from us and choosing to freely give them away, to follow the example of Christ, laying down our lives, our needs, our desires for the cause of the kingdom, for the lives of those around us that he's called us to serve. God is at work now, working out our faith and our purpose in the circumstances happening now, in what you will encounter as you walk out this door and for the rest of your day, using our every day and our every moment for our transformation into a more Christ-following servant. So let's stand. And if you don't mind, if you would kind of shuffle toward the aisles enough that we can just hold hands across the rows. Every person here grew inside the body of a mother. And we are connected by being rebirthed as the body of Christ. And I would just, um, just going to invite him to come and fill us. Lord, I just thank you that you, um, that you created moms to grow each of us inside of their bodies. And I thank you that you laid the foundation for the path that each of us will walk every single day. And, and that path and that purpose um, some days is grand and some days is very monotonous and feels um, like it can't possibly matter. But you see those moments, and those moments matter. They are transforming us into that person that we want to one day become. And I just pray that you will fill us today. You will fill us with your power, with your Holy Spirit, with your strength, with your joy, your peace, your love, your kindness, to serve, to be the servant that you were, laying down everything for the cause and those around us. Thank you that you love us when we fail, that we use those moments to pick up, to experience your love, even our moments of failure, and to then give more of your love to those around us who also fail. Thank you that you are at work, and I just pray that we will find you today and see you today at work. Help us to see those people in our lives, our little ones, or if you don't have little ones, um, those other people in your life, as those very opportunities to lay down our lives. Thank you that we are not alone, and this is not our own strength. It is you at work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we will have some folks up here to uh, pray with you if there is something going on in your life that you'd like some prayer for, whether it was anything that I said today or just uh, circumstances in your life. Come on up. This is a safe place to just share with someone what's going on and 
let them invite the Holy Spirit into your direct circumstance. And um, don't forget to grab your kiddos from their classes. Call your mom if she's alive and you have the blessing of being able to call her. If not, wave hello. I'm sure she's thinking about you today. (laughs) God bless. Have a great day.